You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. The sermon text for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Well, good morning. King's Cross, I'm Chad, one of the pastors here. And uh, I cannot explain to you, because I don't normally get butterflies, but it has been since December 4th since I've been up here. And, uh, and it feels like I'm about to go into like the big game final or something. And, uh, um, but I'm super excited about this opportunity and always appreciate being able to open up God's Word together with you. I'm hopeful that you have all had a very good beginning to your year. Uh, whether you're aware or not, last week the reason I was not able to be with you, my my last grandparent passed away uh and we had to put her to rest this week uh she did pass away uh, surrounded by family and um quietly peacefully in the hospital uh on what was saturday night i guess was it sunday sunday evening sam lose track of time um but we were able to uh celebrate with family see uh family from literally other countries came into town uh from canada that's not that far away sounds crazy doesn't it um <laughs> it was a drive um but we uh we had a really really sweet time together celebrating her and who she was and uh so this week in particular if you have your bibles with you i'd encourage you to turn to first corinthians chapter 13 um, as was just read, Jess just read for us wonderfully. Um, we're going to be there uh, for the majority of our time. There's going to be some other references I might point to as well, but uh, we normally teach two books of the Bible, and we've been in a series on Acts. Uh, a little bit of a break during the Advent season. <clears throat> and as Aaron had already mentioned here, the beginning of this year, we wanted to do a brief series on our foundations and values um, Part of the reason for that and the way in which we are focusing on this is really through the lens of something we're referring to and thinking of in terms of our Antioch vision. Uh, Antioch is a city that is referenced in Acts, and we're going to come to that while we're teaching through Acts. But in particular, as we're speaking about this, we've talked about and prayed about and considered and 
and kind of looked out long view on what we want to see King's Cross Church become, um, what we believe is right for us to pursue, not for our own gain, but for the glory of Christ and the gospel. And King's Cross Church, as our leadership has prayed about that, desires to see lives transformed by the gospel in southwest Raleigh, throughout the triangle, and to the ends of the earth. Matter of fact, we even celebrate, and hopefully you'll be praying for them right now, we celebrate today the uh, opening, the first service of a southeast Raleigh church plant that came from the same church that sent us out an Imago Day. You could be praying for Missy O'Day. They are having their very opening service this morning, and we want to continue to have that legacy be a part of what we are, who we are as a church. And our Antioch vision that we're talking about is to grow over the next five years and into the future thinking into a hub for preparing, equipping, and sending church planters and missionaries throughout North Carolina and around the world. We want to actively be pursuing that, actively seeing where people, where God is inspiring and equipping and preparing uh, people for that work, and we want to be a part of pouring into them for that work. Um, Antioch, the city, is actually a cosmopolitan city of the ancient world. It's where the east met the west, and where it was uh, centrally located. And so you saw a very diverse culture, languages, education, religion, all coming together in one place. And in Antioch, God grew a community that was central to the early church mission. They were sending missionaries, they were training ministry leaders, and it continued to do that for, for a couple centuries at least. Like Antioch, our prayer is that God will use King's Cross to transform Raleigh with the gospel to raise up leaders, planters, and missionaries, to train and equip and send out workers, proclaiming the glorious grace of our King. But we don't want to lose sight as we think about these really big picture things, because believe me, if you ever sit with me for any period of time, I can blue sky all day long. Like, I want to sit and dream of what can be. And those are healthy things to imagine and to, to believe that God can do, because even as we pray in Ephesians and we say, we pray to the God that can do far more than we can ever imagine, think, or ask for. So let's ask big and then let watch him do more. But we don't want to lose sight of what are the fundamentals. What is our core values? Because really that's the foundation of who we are as a church, that if we're going to be that kind of a community that sends people out, we need to be a biblical community that loves one another, that serves one another with humility and grace. Vince Lombardi, maybe you're familiar with who he is, maybe you're not. He's a coach from way yonder, way back when. He uh, always put fundamentals first. Each year at training camp, and he's talking, he's coaching like Green Bay Packers. These are NFL pro-level guys. Each year at training camp, he would begin at the beginning holding up a ball and telling the team, gentlemen, this is a football. Lombardi knew that the will to win was not enough. To perform at their best, his players needed to know that they had prepared as thoroughly as possible to win. Now, we're not playing a football game. In reality, this is so much more important. And it's not that I want you guys to dig in on the fundamentals for the sake of us winning anything, but rather to be the community of faith that God has called us to be, that we never lose sight of those very specific values that he desires to see cultivated in our community. See, community is what we're talking about today. Last week, we talked about gospel prayer. Next week, we're talking about service. And then the following week is multiplication. And today, as we talk about community, we have to remind ourselves that community is really what we're talking about, the relationship of believers 
together that God has brought into, into relationship. Wow, I'm saying that. That was really muddied. Let me try it again. Community is the relationship of believers that God has brought together. Better. That was what I wrote down. Okay. It's really about our relationship together. And relationships in this broken world can be challenging by itself. Okay? I mean, I don't know of anyone in here that does not have some difficulty in some relationship naturally in this world. If you do, amazing. Give me some hot tips. But within family and friends... You just bring people together, there's challenges. But then you add spiritual warfare on top of that. And our pursuit and our desire to see God lifted up on high, Jesus Christ obeyed and followed, and our desire to pursue that, and the enemy will take note. But here's the thing I want to encourage you as we even think about this text, that community does not need to be perfect to be powerful. That community does not need to be complicated to be life-changing. That biblical Christian community can be simple and authentic. But it most definitely should be marked by love. Would you pray with me this morning as we go into the text of 1 Corinthians 13 that the Spirit of God would lead us? Father, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to open up your word, that we get the chance to consider what it is, uh, the direction that you would lead us as a people. God, I pray even as we spend this time together looking at 1 Corinthians, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, that your spirit would fill this room and fill each one of us. Lord, that, uh, that you wouldn't allow me or anyone to be in the way, but rather you would change us to look more like Christ. And ask us in his name. Amen. So when I talk about community, there's a lot of things that we could speak towards. And I'm choosing specifically today to focus in on love. Now, this could be a, just feel like a really gushy, feel good, warm and fuzzy kind of conversation about love. But you know me better than that, right? Hopefully. But love is a loaded word in the English language. I love pizza. I love my wife. Those are not the same thing. I love my kids. I love naps. That's not the same thing either. And unfortunately, even though we should be a community marked by love, that there can be, or you may have heard an accusation, or maybe you've seen, depending on if you just shut off entirely the news and everything about it, accusations of Christians being hateful, which is the opposite. At least it seems to be. The truth is that some of those accusations may be founded, they may not. Some of those accusations just may be that whatever we believe to be biblical is not something they want to hear. And that's unfortunate, and we understand the gospel can't offend. But there are often too many times that as believers, people who would claim the name of Christ, we would see us falling into some form of a toxic tribalism. You familiar with that term? The idea that we might find an affinity with a group, whether political or ideology, or a belief, or something, a group that's an affinity group that we hold on to tighter than we do biblical commands for us to be loving. That we want to hold on to some ideal and we're willing to sacrifice what God has clearly and explicitly told us in Scripture, which is radical. Believe me, radical. And that's why it's hard. See, biblically, love has a central and profound role in the Christian life. 
We're told to love one another. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus himself says that I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And then he says this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Jesus says they will know you're my disciple because you love one another. Okay, well, we're in community together. He's talking about disciples. So we love the believers, one another. Cool, got that down. Goes another step. We're also supposed to love our neighbor. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandments? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Paul, who wrote the letter we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians, went later and actually just says that the entire law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Because we can't truly love our neighbor if we don't already love God fully. He sums it up that way. So we love one another, we love your neighbor. But who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus already answered that as well when he talks about the Good Samaritan. And we're not going to go through that. There's a sermon on the website if you want to go look at it. But he talks about the way that everybody we come across who has a need is our neighbor. And we should love them as such. Okay, we love one another, we love your neighbor, but you don't know my neighbor. You don't know the problems I have with my neighbor. I'm not saying that literally me. I'm just just in general. This is a generalization. You don't know the problems. You don't know what my my family's like. You don't know what the people at my work are like. I I can't be talking about those people. Just in case it's not clear, we're also told love your enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We're told to love one another as disciples. We're told to love our neighbor. We're told to love our enemies. And don't miss that last line. Why do we love our enemies? So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We're directly connecting our love for enemies and the way we show that love towards people who aren't us or in our friend group or in our family, directly connecting that to the way in which we are children of God. And so what I determined to do this morning, because we're talking about love, is to go something to a hymn or a a passage that you may be familiar with in a different context often referred to as the love chapter or the hymn of love, the hymn to love. Maybe you've been to a wedding, you've heard it read. Very familiar. It's well known, but it's not about a man and a woman. It's not about any two people in particular, actually. It's about an entire community. Because this letter is written and set up, Paul to the Corinthians, to a community that's having a lot of internal issues. They're having a lot of challenges. And when I read the Pillar New Testament commentary on this, the authors there said that the chapter is primarily about living in Christian community in a way that glorifies God, and that is, and that is by learning to treat other members of Christ's body the way God has treated us, with self-sacrificing, other-oriented love. 
See, throughout this letter, Paul has addressed some issues that the Corinthians are having in their church. One of those issues is something called, well, it's the Lord's Supper, or they actually have love feasts. It's an agape feast is what they call them. And they would get together, and there would be fellowship, and there'd be food, and they would also partake of the Lord's Supper together. The elements that we're going to do here this morning with the bread and the, and the cup. But in these particular cases, Paul said that they weren't thinking about each other. They would come together for these feasts, and most often the people who were wealthier, who didn't have the day jobs and the long hours, and they were to get there earlier, were feasting and feeding themselves. And then the people who had less and were getting there later didn't have anything to eat. Just completely not thinking about them. Just before he gets to this passage in chapter 12, Paul is talking about the community, literally the body of Christ, and the gifts that we have together. And he's not just saying in terms of we have one body and many members and you guys have gifts to gift one another. He's actually challenging them because they are all going after the special gifts. Everybody wants to have the cool gifts, if you will. And what I'm referring to is within the church when we talk about spiritual gifts, as we believe that the Spirit of God indwells each believer, we also believe that he empowers us with gifts to bless the church. And in this particular case, they're talking about prophecy. They're talking about tongues and translations and 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 they're talking about the ability to to speak publicly and to prophesy and to to preach and teach and these guys are wanting to get the cool gifts nobody wants the gift of of coffee maker hospitality you know the back end they want to be up front they want to be important and paul literally introduces this passage He literally introduces this passage by saying, I want to show you a superior way. And what I want us to look at this morning and realize is, as Paul is talking about these gifts, as he is talking about love, that love is the superior, radical, and enduring way that we worship and glorify God as the Christian community. So let's look at love as a superior way. First thing, chapter 12, verse 31 is where I'm actually going to start, and here's why. Because Paul is pointing out that love is greater than spirituality. Notice the question, the the parentheses are, I'm I'm sorry, the quotation marks, they're all on purpose, just in case you're wondering. Spirituality. All right, so in this particular case, Paul starts in verse 31, and he tells them, hey, you guys have been looking for all these gifts. You want to be better than everybody else. But go ahead, desire the greater gifts. I will show you an even better way. What's that better way? What's he going to say? If I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, when he says human or angelic tongues, he's referring to some languages that people may or may not understand. He's referring to also, we see tongues falling in the beginning of Acts, where people were speaking in languages they were not familiar with before. They were able to be understood by all of the crowds of people of different languages. So often tongues is referring to an understandable language. And if it's not an understandable language, there's someone there to translate for you. That's something also Paul addresses in here. Because he says, otherwise, if you're just talking and you're making noise and nobody understands you, you're doing nothing but glorifying yourself. That's what he says. Okay, so in this case, Paul says, if I speak with all the amazing tongues and I can talk in every language and I have these gifts that God's given me, but I don't have love, then I'm no better than somebody banging on some brass or smashing some pots together. You're doing nothing important to the community if you lose or lack love. So think about it in these terms. They're seeking after some spiritualism, 
some ability to be holy or at least look holy because you've got tongues. You've got some power God's given you. We might relate that to ourselves. for example, if you feel like I've got a perfect reading record on my New Year's reading plan so far. Or maybe I've been at church every time the door's open. I've never missed a Bible study. Paul's saying all of that spiritualism, all of those exercises, all of those lists of things that you might accomplish, all of the gifts you think you have, if you are devoid of love, then you have nothing. And you're just making noise. He also says it's greater than knowledge. Chapter uh, 13, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. When they're talking about in this particular passage, he refers to the gift of prophecy or the ability to see and understand and, and speak truth to the community of faith, to give wisdom, if you will, godly spiritual wisdom to understand all mysteries to have that insight there are some people in the church that god has gifted in a way to be able to look at scripture and to unfold and open up what is in the text and help us understand things better he's saying you have that ability and if you have all knowledge you're wise you're smart you got a good head on your shoulders if you will and in the midst of that you even he goes one more step have all the faith to move mountains but you don't have nothing. You have, don't have love. Then you have nothing. If you will, Paul is accelerating the gifts he's talking about. He starts off with tongues and angelic uh, languages, and then he goes on to prophecy and understanding and knowledge. It's almost like saying, yeah, but you want to be front row and you want to be in teaching everybody. That's still nothing without love. He talks about this elsewhere in the same exact letter in chapter 8 when he talks about people who are, who are convinced it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols because they know better and they're not willing to, con- to care for the people in their community that have a problem with it, all right? They're having a dis- another disagreement. Corinthians, they got all kinds of disagreements. And so he, he tells them, if your knowledge lacks love, it's just being puffed up. That's what he says. Knowledge is puffed up, but love builds up. And that's similar to his, his sentiment here. If you have these gifts and you have all the abilities in the world to move mountains, but you don't have love, you lack everything. <laughs> Thirdly, he says that it's greater than generosity, if you will. But this is almost, this is sacrificial generosity he's talking about. In verse three, if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast. Okay, so there are other translations that have to be burned Uh, There's a sense in which this is actually just talking about if I give over my body sacrificially, okay? If I do all that, I'm sacrificially generous. I give over my possessions. I give over my body, but I don't have love. Then I gain nothing. This reminds me of um, something that Christ said to the Pharisees who were very good at sacrificing, they were tithing out of their mint drawers, they were doing everything they needed to do sacrificially in the system. And when Christ in Matthew, you'll read this passage, he referenced an Old Testament text, Hosea chapter 6, and he said to him this, go and see what this means. Go look this up. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy or faithful love and not sacrifice. 
Meaning that all the sacrifice in the world of you giving over of anything and everything you have, but you do it without love, it means nothing and it gains nothing. It's the reason that I put quotation marks around each one of these. Because in reality, these are all self-serving if you lack love for the community of faith. So what is love? Love is not only the superior way, love is the radical way. Because Paul goes on in verses 4 through 7 to start to tell us what does it mean to be loving. He says this first, love is patient, love is kind. (laughs) So this week, I was asked to speak at my uh, grandmother's funeral. I used this passage. Okay? I double dipped. (laughs) So grandparents most often have what seems to be an unbelievable amount of love for their grandkids. Usually it's just they're ready to spoil you at a drop of a hat. If you didn't have that, it's, it's, I did. She uh, was unbelievably, immeasurably patient and kind when it came to grandkids. And one of the, one of the, one of the popular stories to tell on me, always on me, always telling on me, you know how many grandkids there are? There's 12 of us, aren't there? 13? Always about me. My brother, he's three years younger than me. I got upset at him about something, okay? They had a pond in the backyard. And, and we had just got done with the boat. We were supposed to be putting the oar up, all this kind of stuff. And I had the oar. And you don't make a dude with an oar mad. Okay? I knew better. <laughs> so I chased him with the oar. And he ran in the house. Because, of course, Chad's not going to come in the house with the oar. So I figured he's right. I'm not going to come in the house in the oar. I got one more chance before he closes the door. So I threw the oar. (laughs) Threw the door. Because the door closed before the oar got there. (laughs) Didn't mean to sound like, you know, Dr. Seuss up here. Um, So my grandmother, who was keeping us, my mom wasn't there that day. She came back and found out that I had thrown an oar through the screen door. Just, just tore it right through. Doors coming in the kitchen. First thing she said to my mom, she said, did you spank him? This is what my mom says. He didn't mean to do it. <laughs> he didn't mean to do it. It's true, I didn't mean to do it. I meant to hit him. <laughs> so it's not, not a lie. My point being is this. My grandmother had incredible patience and kindness to her kids. As humans, we can demonstrate that to one another. Um, But sometimes they can test the limits, because I'm sure if I threw an oar or anything through one of your doors, you might not have the same response. Additionally, Paul goes on to say, not only is love actively patient and kind, but love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. I mean, all of these, if you will, it's almost as if Paul is wanting, and we talked about this earlier, where, where he's trying to capture what is difficult to put into words, the radical nature of love. All these things that you as Corinthians are having a trouble with, that's not love. He's even, if you notice, he's personifying. He's talking about it as if it's a person standing in front of you. Love isn't any of these things. It's not envious. 
Meaning it's not, it's not going to get mad or upset or have negative attitudes when you do well. It's looking for your best interests as well, not just my own. It's not boastful, not looking out for me to make myself look better because I have the best gifts. Remember, that was their difficulty. It's not arrogant, thinking more highly of myself than others. It's not rude, meaning I'm not short. I'm not looking out for just me being comfortable and caring more about myself rather than you. I'm not irritable. Okay, sometimes I can be. But in the midst of that, love in pure form doesn't get doesn't have a short fuse. It doesn't find fault at small things and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> when you think about looking out for, I'm going to have some, you're going to hear the little stories about me, my grandmother. When I think about love and someone who's not arrogant, not self-serving and always looking out for others, she just got pumped when we did stuff. So much so, when I was in middle school, I know you probably may be shocked about this, I wasn't much of a basketballer. I had to grow into that, you know? My hoop dream came in high school. But when I was in middle school, I was so timid, I just didn't dribble. I just, ball hit me, no shooting, no dribbling, just holding it, and uh, there's a guy, give it to them. And over and over again, my family is like, dribble the ball, just dribble the ball, do something. I just, who, they'll take it. You can't dribble. You got to know your lane. I don't want to do that. And I'll never forget because I heard it and everyone else in the stands did. One day I got the ball at this game and I dribbled. I was, I was like, all right, got one dribble. You'd have thought I just won the championship. My, they're sitting in the crowd. My grandmother hops up. She's like, I don't know, 70 years old. She jumps out of the seat. Whoa, he dribbled! <laughs> Never do that again. She was all about me and about us doing better. Like that was such a success marker. And sometimes when we see other brothers and sisters doing well at something, how often do we have a little envy? We're not looking for their best interest, but rather for our own. Or we see someone achieve something at work and we're, rather than being encouraging for them and we're celebrating with them, we're looking at how we maybe should have gotten that promotion. That's not love. And see, I'm not telling you that love doesn't mean that you can't disagree, that love means you can't correct and you can't argue because believe me, if we're looking at my grandmother's example, she could do those things. But the truth is, as Scripture points out, and even in this next passage where Paul says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth, we're encouraged to speak the truth in love. So even when we correct, even when we argue, even if we disagree, it's always in love. There is a significant difference between a stranger coming at me and telling me everything that I'm doing wrong and a brother or sister coming up to me and I know in their heart of hearts love me in giving me correction. And we can do that in love. At the same time, Paul continues to say that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's that, that listing that Paul loves to do where he's just summoning, it just does everything. 
all the good stuff you can think about. It's always cheering for you, always encouraging, always excited for and hopeful for what God might do in the other's life, always other-oriented, and always willing to endure for the sake of love and community. Truth is, right now, we live under the chains of sin, curse world, and that light of love still shines bright in the darkness. When Jesus came into this world, it said he was a light that entered the world that's shining. And in no uncertain terms, the love that he demonstrates for us is what continues to shine in his people. Otherwise, we're nothing. We're just, we're just like the rest of the darkness of this world. And while that perfect world may be currently broken, what Paul goes on to say in this next one, verse 8, where he says that love is the enduring way, that it doesn't end, that it endures forever. He says love never ends. That's an interesting sentence, to be honest with you. It never ends. I'll tell you what he means by that. What he means by that is that prophecies, they will come to an end. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will come to an end. What is he talking about? All these things are going to end, but love's not going to end. Well, each of these sayings are us on this side of eternity, in this broken world, trying to grasp and understand and see and recognize God and who he is. We don't live in heaven right now. You know that? Okay. Scripture, Jesus prays that God's kingdom might come on this earth, but this is not perfection. And so even in this imperfect world, in our flesh, we see, as Paul says, as to a mirror dimly, that we have a, a, a picture into these, these gifts that God gives through prophecy, through knowledge, through tongues. These are all things only meant to, in some small fraction of a way, give us some spiritual access, closeness, relationship, contact with God and who he is while we're still broken and sinful. But right now, verse 9, while we know in part and we prophesy in part, when the perfect comes, all of that partial will come to an end. Right? You, if you have Christ face to face, you don't need prophecy. You see him. And, and he goes on, Paul, to differentiate the two. I know, in fact, this is what he's trying to get across because he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Hey, we're almost like spiritual children. We are spiritual children. We are incapacitated for a full-throated view and face-to-face view of God. We don't see him in all his glory. Only as a child would. And what Paul's differentiating is saying that as a child, I thought this way, I thought this way, I talked this way. This is just who I was as a child. But when I became a man, I put aside those childish things. So, in the same way, now we see only as a reflection, as in a mirror. But then we'll see face to face. Then, being when perfect comes. Now, I only know in part. But then, I will know fully, as I am fully known. Paul's telling us that in this present world we live in, all of those gifts are but temporary. The gifts that give us access to who God is. But love never ends. Because we will fully know God and fully embrace who he is. 
be fully loved and fully love him. And the community that God's brought together will continue on. And we will love one another even as we see Christ and God the Father in perfect love relationship themselves. And that's why Paul wraps this entire thing up by saying, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The reason we are called to love one another, to love your neighbor, to love your enemies, so that we might be children of our Father in heaven. But more importantly than that, even, more specifically, I should say, is that we can look to Jesus, who was the perfect son of the Father, and he shows us what perfect love is. I I tell stories of my grandmother and her love for her family, her children, and you can relate in some respect, right? Maybe you feel a similar affection for someone or have been blessed with that kind of unconditional love. But the truth is, even as we've experienced that in this world, that's still not perfect. It's imperfect. And Jesus actually grabs onto that when he gives an illustration in Matthew chapter 7 because he says this, he says, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'd give him a snake. I mean, my son comes to me and says, hey, I'm hungry. I want some bread. And I'm like, hey, have a rock. Or he's like, you know, I'd I'd like to have a fish to eat. And you're like, yeah, here's a viper. Play with it. See, Jesus is saying in in our imperfection, we still understand what kindness and love is. And he then goes on to say, if you then, it's a lesser to a greater, if you, and he says, who are evil, will know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it's, it's actually remarkable. We don't think about it in these terms because we're just so enveloped in our world that we live in. But if you will for a moment consider this. We're in this earthly state fighting and struggling and hating and battling and envying and having problems in, 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 in some conditions. I'm holier than this person or I'm great. What, I'm, I'm more righteous. I'm closer to God. I... I don't want to be like you, thinking ourselves better, but imagine, if you will, and this is not real, but let's just do it anyway. What if you had a scale, just a timeline, just a, just a, a scale of holiness or righteousness, and then consider for a moment where we are on that scale and us fighting with each other about, about who's better, who's good, who's right, who's wrong, hating, not loving, and then imagine where, where God is. So much more holy, so righteous, perfect, good. Watching a bunch of kids squabble over what? And what Romans is telling us is that even in that state, while we are so imperfect and so undeserving, that God proves his love for us while we were still sinners 
and sent his son to save. And that passage in in Romans 8 that was read earlier, if that's true, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? See, brothers and sisters, we don't love one another because, simply because the Bible tells us so. We love one another because we have been loved. We love people because we have been loved. We love our enemies because God loved his enemies. And we do that so that we might be children of our Father, truly children of the one who has shown perfect love. Everyone should know that you're a disciple by your love. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And if you don't know this love of Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you're here today, I'm going to tell you this. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what I had done, what I looked like, if I came to my memo, that's what we call grandma, there would be love and safety. How much more then is the Most High God, the creator of life, our Father, standing with open arms, eager to welcome you as his children? He gave his own son so that you could know life and joy in him. And for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You can know that love, and I would love to introduce you to him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your kindness this morning. Thank you for the way in which you have made yourself evident in your word, and thank you for the way that you love. God, continue to grant us your grace as we worship you together as your people. Lord, I pray that even as we have this time to get today, that you have spoken to our hearts, that your spirit would move and fill us and change us to be more like Christ. So that the love we show, show towards one another in this community of faith would be evident to the world around us, that everyone might see that we are his disciples because of the way in which we love. How remarkable that you would say that if someone walks in here today, that they would see clearly who we follow by that love. Thank you for your kindness. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.